following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're in this series at the moment in the book of Acts, and uh, we come to this passage today in Acts chapter 2 that describes the early church, the church that formed in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. And it's an interesting time to be talking about the church at the moment because uh, we're in this situation where we can't meet together as a church, face to face at least. And all over the world, church buildings are empty. Cathedrals, auditoriums, church gathering places, they're all empty. And we've just been through the most important season of the Christian year, Easter, and churches haven't been able to meet in most countries around the world. We haven't been able to gather face to face. Uh, and it raises these interesting questions for us at the moment. Questions like, what is a church? Uh, are we really a church if we can't gather together face to face? Is church really important if we can't gather face to face? If we can just sit at home in our lounge and we can each just watch a message when we want to and we can listen to a worship song when we want to, uh, and we can pray whenever we want to. Is church really that important? Does church have a place in the modern world? Is it relevant? Does it have a voice? Or is it really just an outdated vestige of a, of a former era that has no real relevance in the world today? These are important questions, I think, for us to wrestle with as Christians. And I want to unpack this a bit today from this passage in Acts 2 that describes the very first church that ever formed, this church in Jerusalem. And uh, this church, as we read about it, uh, it met in homes, predominantly in people's homes. Uh, so there's a point of connection today. We're meeting in homes at the moment, just as the early church did. Uh, but it's easy, I think, to look back at, at this church, the church in the book of Acts, and sort of see it like a perfect church, as if this was some pristine era where the church was perfect and pure and nothing ever went wrong. But the reality is there's never been a perfect church. Not then and not now. This was not a perfect church in Acts. Uh, it had all kinds of problems because it was full of people. Uh, and people are broken. People are messy. People are dysfunctional. And the church is made up of people, and so the church is never going to be perfect. Uh, we don't look at this passage because it describes a perfect church. We look at it because it describes the heart of the church. And this, this passage describes the essence the heartbeat of the church and what God's intention is for his church and what he has designed the church to be. So we're not looking here at a perfect gathering of people. We're looking at the heart of what the church is intended to be. And I want to describe this in terms of three movements, three movements of the church, three directions in which the early church moved. And these are directions or movements in which we today, as God's church, are also called to move. So let's look at each of these. The first we could describe as an upward movement. There's an upward movement to the church, and, and this is a movement toward God. Uh, not that God is up there somewhere, but we are moving upward towards God in the sense of growing up in our faith together. The church is about helping one another grow up towards maturity in our faith and as a community, growing up together into a mature, whole, and healthy body of Christ. And as you look in this passage, particularly in verse 42 of chapter 2 in Acts, you see a number of practices 
that the early church engaged in, which facilitated this upward movement towards God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the church devoted themselves to hearing from the Word of God. They didn't have the full Bible that we have today, but they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to those who, who had walked with Jesus, to those who had known him personally, and they learned of Jesus' life. They learned the stories and the teachings of Jesus, and they were, they were fed by this, and they devoted themselves to this. It wasn't a half-hearted kind of thing. They, they were serious about it. They were committed to it. Uh, they devoted themselves to, uh, to, to the breaking of bread, it says. And most commentators believe the breaking of bread in this passage is a reference to the Lord's Supper, to communion or the Eucharist, whatever name you give it. Uh, that meal whereby we remember and celebrate the death of Jesus, and we'll observe that at the end of this message. So they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to prayer. This was a praying church. The early church was a praying church. They saw, they recognized the value and the importance of praying together and seeking God's face together. And then over in verse 47, it talks about the church praising God. So this was a worshiping church. They gathered to worship God and lift their voices. They probably used a lot of the Jewish Psalms. In the book of Psalms, they saw these as now being fulfilled in Jesus and they used these Psalms in their gathered times of, of worshiping God. Now, I imagine today most Christians would probably agree that these practices are important. Most Christians would probably say, yes, teaching and, and prayer and worship, these are important practices for any Christian. But what has happened today in Western culture is where these practices happen at all, they tend to be highly individualized. That is, there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians today that would say, well, yes, I pray, but I just pray on my own. I just pray on my own to God, wherever I am. And uh, yes, I read the Bible sometimes, but I just read it on my own, in my own, my own quiet time. And I worship, but I, I just worship on Spotify. I listen to some worship songs or watch a worship video on YouTube, and I just kind of worship along to that. And we live in this highly individualized culture within Western society, which really tells us that the primary value is in the individual, and not so much in the community, not so much in the group. It's about our individual identity and our individual expression of life. And we have imported that way of thinking about things into our Christian faith. And so we conceptualize our relationship with God in very individualized terms. And we think about it just as this relationship between me and God. And that, that's really all that matters. And so these practices just happen on my own. But as you look in this passage... You can't help but be struck by this language of togetherness that is all through this passage. That word together crops up three times in this passage. They were together. They broke bread together. There's the sense of they, they gathered. The face-to-face -face nature of the church was so important. I think this kind of language jumps out at us even more in the current situation where we're all in isolation, social distancing from one another. And, and you see in Scripture how important it was to, to gather and to be connected to one another. Because the early church knew, they understood that when people become followers of Jesus, they don't just become individual followers of Jesus. They're not just saved as individuals. They are saved into a family. They're saved into a community. And the church is the family in which our faith is to be formed. It's just like your biological family. Our biological families are supposed to be the context where we are formed and, and nurtured and we grow and we learn and we, and we develop and we learn to walk. And the church is supposed to be just the same thing. It's a family. 
This is the family that, that we're a part of by definition of being a follower of Jesus. And this is intended to be the family in which our faith is grown, in which our faith is nurtured. And, and we grow and we learn the way of Jesus. We learn to walk in the family of the church. That's what the church is for. If you'd said to one of the apostles on the day of Pentecost, I'm really into following Jesus, but I really just want to do it myself. I just want to go off and be a Christian on my own and don't worry about the church. They would have looked at you like you were from another planet. Because in the New Testament, there is really no such thing as a Christian without a church. These two things just went hand in hand. It's only because of our culture of individualism today, we separate them out. But scripture calls us back to emphasizing the community of faith as the family in which our faith is formed. So yes, we should absolutely pray on our own. That's wonderful. But we should also pray together as a community of believers. And we've been doing that even in this situation of social restriction. We're praying together over Zoom, having some wonderful prayer times online. Uh, we should worship on our own. Absolutely. You can, you can worship on your own. You can worship in creation, but we should also worship together. This is part of God's design for us as believers and as the church, that we gather together and we worship. And we're doing that in these Sunday morning gatherings in, in, in one way or other. And, and yes, we should listen to teaching. We should read scripture on our own. That's vital, having those times with God. But we should also gather and receive God's word together. And again, that's exactly what we're experiencing right now, gathering around the word of God. And we shouldn't think that in this environment where we can only do these things online, that this is somehow preferable to gathering face to face. You know, it's easy to kind of start thinking, well, these conditions that we're in now, this is kind of, this is great. This is the way of the future. Uh, everyone's living online these days anyway. Now the church is online. We're kind of connecting online. Isn't, isn't that enough? You know, why don't we just keep doing these things digitally, even when things go back to normal? But that would be to miss something vital at the heart of the church, something that makes the church the church. Let me read you the way one pastor describes this. He says, online gatherings are emergency measures, not the future of the church. For years, our church has had online services and all of our sermons are available online. We embrace digital technology, but it is no substitute for the incarnational gathering of the body of Christ. In this present moment, we are an exclusively virtual church only because we have no other choice. When we again have a choice, we will always prefer the real, enfleshed, actual, physical, human, living gathering over the unreal, digital, virtual, technological, electronic, lifeless, non-gathering. Now, I think maybe he's being a little bit too harsh on the online gatherings. These are still great times, and, and, and they can do a lot to help us thrive in our faith. But you see his point. There is something at the heart of the church about being present with each other and about growing up in our faith together. Just as God became present with us in Jesus, we are called to be present with one another. Which means, yes, for now we exist in this digital space online and we can exist and we can survive and we can thrive even as a church in this space. But we should always hold in our hearts a longing for that day when we can be together again face to face. That's, that's the goal, that's the hopeful destination of where we're heading. We gather as we do now in these online services in anticipation of the day when we can be worshipping together again, side by side, gathering face to face, because that's the fullest 
and truest expression of the church. So the church has this upward movement. It's about helping one another to grow upward in our faith, grow upward toward maturity by spurring one another on and pursuing greater and greater depth in our faith together. Now, that, that's just one of these movements, one of the three movements, an upward movement. But there's two more. The second kind of movement that we see in the early church is an inward movement, which is a movement towards one another, a movement towards loving and, and caring for one another. And this is beautifully captured in this one word in verse 42, the word fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now that's kind of an old English word, fellowship, but it's a translation of a Greek word, which is koinonia. And that word koinonia, it literally means sharing or participation, to share in something, to participate in something. And this word has a rich theological background in that we participate, we have koinonia in God. We have koinonia in the Father and the Son by the Spirit. First John talks about this. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. We are sharing in the life of God. And out of that koinonia, out of that rich participation we have in the life of God in the Spirit, we now have this koinonia with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to share and participate in the life of God and the life of faith together. And koinonia has this idea of we're not just sharing things, we're not just sharing stuff, we're sharing our lives. We're sharing our lives with each other. We're in, in a sense, in the church, we belong to each other. There's a sense that, that I belong to you, that you belong to me, in, in, in a sense, that, that there is a shared ownership, even of our very lives, that we're open to one another, we're available to one another. There's a deep bond between us. And the way that's expressed is in really practical ways, through loving, through serving, through caring, through showing kindness and compassion and meeting practical needs. And the early church did this in all kinds of ways. One of the ways they did this was by practicing radical generosity. I mean, you look at what, what happens here. In verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I mean, that's extraordinary. People, one person has need in the church, someone else sells property in order to, to have the proceeds go to this person who's fallen into hard times. Imagine that happening in the church today. Imagine someone in the church or a family in the church falling into a really difficult situation and someone else says, well, I've, I've got this property and, and I could sell that and, and I could use the proceeds from that and, and I could actually channel that somehow to meet the needs of this other person because in a sense what, what I have belongs to them. We're sharing, I'm sharing my life with them. I want to share what I have with them. That's radical koinonia. That's radical generosity. And it doesn't always have to look like those big sorts of gestures. It doesn't always have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be very small, understated, often unseen ways of generosity and hospitality that make the church the church. There's a couple in our church who have got a son who's battling cancer at the moment. And last year, earlier on last year, they were having a chat over morning tea at church with another guy in the church. And that guy just casually said to them, look, is, is there anything I could do to help? Is there any way in which I can help you or your son at the moment? And they said, well, actually, he, he's moving house in the next little while. And he could probably do with a bit of a hand in shifting. And so this guy showed up and helped this other guy and his family move house. 
And as they got to the new place, he saw that the outside of the property needed a bit of work, and so he offered to, to come back and give him a hand. And so every week for several months last year, this guy from our church was going around to this other guy's house. They were wheelbarrowing stuff around. They were landscaping. They were building sheds together. And it wasn't just one guy being nice to someone else. There was a real bond that was formed, a real connection. There was a, a real mutual blessing that went both ways. And for this guy who was part of our church community, this was an expression of his individual faith, but it was also an expression of what makes us a church. It was also an expression of koinonia, this idea of sharing, this idea of participating together in something, that we're a church of radical generosity, radical hospitality. And this is what it means to express that identity. It's a sharing of our time, of our talents, of our energies, sometimes of our resources, in order to meet people at their point of need. And this is a vital part of who the church is, a church that moves inwards towards one another, to care for one another with the same kind of love and kindness and compassion that Jesus has shown to us. The church should be an inward-facing, inward-moving church. But that's not all. There is a third movement that's equally critical for the church in order to express its true identity as a church. And this is an outward movement, an outward movement toward the world. And we see this described at the end of verse 47. The last sentence in this passage says this, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you've got a church here that has this upward movement of directing one another's hearts toward God. You've got a church that has a strong inward movement of meeting one another's needs, showing kindness and love and hospitality. And then out of that, as those movements are underway, there is this outward movement that is generated where the church is now facing outward towards the world, towards those outside the community. Because ultimately the early church recognized they existed for the sake of the world. They didn't just exist for themselves. It wasn't just a social club. It wasn't just a place to come and, and be insular and have a good time and even, even to meet each other's needs, important though that was. If the church is only focused inwardly, eventually it'll die. In order for, for the church to truly be the church, it also needs to have this strong outward orientation. The church needs to recognize that we are part of the mission of God, the missio Dei, the mission of God to reach the world with his love and his blessing, ultimately to reach the nations. And for the church to be the church means taking seriously that mission and looking for the opportunities to join God in that. And this can happen in a range of ways. And this is happening within our own church at Shore. It, it's happening through conversations that are had outside the church, outside of church gatherings, conversations with, with family and friends and neighbours and workmates and so on. Sometimes it's happened uh, in times that we have had face-to-face -face gatherings because people have come into these gatherings and they've experienced hospitality and they've experienced warmth and they've experienced life and they've sensed the presence of God and they've been drawn into relationship with God through that. I want to share one story with you this morning. Uh, a story of a woman named Marina who's now part of our church community. And she has come into our community not as a follower of Jesus, but in experiencing the, the community and the hospitality of Shaw, she's been drawn not only into a sense of belonging, but also a sense of believing in Jesus as her Lord and as her Saviour, and has been drawn to place her faith in Christ. 
So I want to share this with you in a, in a video. It's a video of Marina's story. Uh, we filmed this before the lockdown, but we wanted to play it to you this morning because it's a wonderful example of God bringing people to faith in the context of our church. So here's Marina's story. Be honest. When I came to New Zealand, I noticed quite a lot of church in the community. I go. I went to a church. Got a, I got two reasons. At the first, I want to you know practice my English language as a beginning, to be honest. And another reason is because I I heard Christianity in China, but I don't actually go into the church to see. What does church mean, and what does Bible mean? When I went to the North Shore Community Church, I remember, still remember, ribbon, right? Yeah, ribbon said church is a family. That's the first word came into my mind. Oh, church is a family. That's the that's a new conception for me. So when I go into the church regularly, I can feel. So many people are so kind to me, so kind to me, and uh, and uh, and to our family. They really care about every person. And the one thing touched me. Actually, many things touched me. Cause you know, when when we just settled down, started to settle down in New Zealand as a foreigners, we, my husband still needs to find a job at that time, and uh, we got some financial problems and. Uh, and due to the financial problems we got, so people feel quite so stressed. And uh, I still remember at Christmas, the we received a card, a gift card from a church family that touched us so much. Yeah, that's the first thing. I, I wanted to cry, you know. <laughs> uh, the love I received from the church family is a foundation and also I can feel the the real life representing the individual person. So there you see the beauty of this outward movement that the church is called to be. There's a life who's being transformed because the church is being the church and the church is reflecting the love and the goodness and the grace of God to those outside the body of Christ and God is adding to our number those who are being saved. This has always got to be a vital part of who the church is, this outward orientation, this outward movement. We're part of the mission of God. We need to be intentional and focused on looking for the ways to participate in that mission in everyday life. So you have these three movements of the church, the upward movement, the inward movement, and the outward movement. And I don't know where you're at this morning in regard to church, you may be part of our regular church community, uh, or you may never have been to church in your life. Or perhaps you've been burned by church. You've been burned by some toxic thing in the church, bad teaching, or you haven't been cared for or whatever it is, and you're just kind of over it. But for whatever reason, you're listening to, uh, to this service this morning. And I want to just encourage you and gently challenge you that whatever view and perspective you have of the church, and I'm never going to justify whatever negative stuff may have happened to you through the church, but to recognize that even though the church is so often broken, and it so often is messy because it's made up of messy people, that it's still the church. And after all is said and done, God still loves his church. Broken though she is, limping though she often is, she's still the body of Christ. She's still the bride of Christ. She's still the church 
for whom Jesus laid down his life. God loves his church. And if God loves his church, we should love his church too. And I want to encourage you, even in this season where we're restricted in what we can do socially, to maybe take a first step towards connecting with a church. Maybe a first step back into a healthy church community and begin connecting again with a family of believers that you can make a church home. And if you're part of our regular church community at Shaw, or you're part of some other church, I want to encourage you to think about those three movements of the church, the upward, the inward, the outward. And think about which of those movements might God be laying on your heart today? Which of those movements might God be saying to you, here's a next step to take in how you can invest yourself in the life of the church, how you can contribute and participate with what God is doing through this church. Whatever way that is, I want to encourage you to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you today and give the very best of yourself to the local church that God has placed you within. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Jesus is still building his church today and there's nothing that can stand against it. No pandemic can stand against the church of God. Let's love the church for which Christ died and let's look for the ways in which we can get involved and contribute and help to make the church all that she can be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you, God, that this is really, it's really not our church. You are the head of this church. You are the Lord of our church. You are the leader of our church. And we just gladly come under your leadership as the one who holds our church and every church in your hands. Lord, we want to pray for our church at Shaw, that through this time you'd continue to strengthen us as, as, a, as a group of believers, Lord, as a family. Continue to help us to grow towards you each in our own way, but being connected to one another and continuing to encourage each other. Help us to continue looking to each other's needs and be mindful of the way in which we can help those who may be struggling, who may be weary. Lord, whether it's encouraging, whether it's through a phone call or text or whatever it is, Lord, to be attentive to the needs that are there and be taking the initiative to respond to those and show kindness to one another. And Lord, keep us focused on the world. Keep us focused on the world outside the church. Help us to see the ways, ordinary ways, everyday conversations, little things where we can show your love, show your kindness, share your message, share a bit of our story with those outside this church so that you might continue adding to your church those who are coming to place their faith in you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing all around the world through your church in this time. And we pray, Lord, as we know you will, continue building your church and moving us forward together. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.